0: Welcome again to Mosaic. If you don't know me, I'm Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. My honor uh, to bring you God's word today as we're getting to near to the end of the book of Hebrews. Today is the second to the last sermon on Hebrews and Pastor Doug will close us out next week uh, with Hebrews 12. We're not getting to Hebrews 13 uh, because we're preparing for Christmas, but today we're at Hebrews 11. Uh, today. And we're going to look at uh, the passage verses one to three together. And if you were here last week, you saw the charge that came from God in Hebrews 10. And we ended last week with this charge that we are not of those who shrink back. That we, because we have Jesus, the high Priest. That because we have our confidence in Christ, that we, brothers and sisters, you and me, we are not of those who shrink back in this world, but we live with confidence and power in Christ himself. And so today, he is continuing on that theme and giving us a very key ingredient to helping us to actually live into that. And the key ingredient that he's introducing us to today is this ingredient of faith, of faith. And so if you open up your Bibles, I'm just going to read the first three verses of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of the Lord. I ask you to just take a moment and look at that, that we have this faith that convinces us that everything that we see that is visible is not made out of things that are visible. And this is a description, a definition of faith that we get in Hebrews 11. And then if you kind of scan your Bibles to the rest of the chapter, you see this long list of men and women who have received this faith and have lived in this faith. And so Hebrews 11 not only tells us what faith is, what I just read, but then in the remainder of the chapter, he tells us what faith does. Not only what faith is, but what faith does. And what faith does to somebody when faith comes into the life of a believer is that faith animates an unprecedented courage in a man and woman to live for God. What faith does when it comes into someone's life is it animates an unprecedented courage to live for God. And that is what's going to happen for you and me. And that's what today's sermon is about. But before we get into it, I do want to ask you, you know, for you, what took away your spiritual courage? What took away your hope? Some of you are struggling just to believe. And after last week's sermon, maybe some of you are struggling to really believe that this can be true of you, that you can be one of those who do not shrink back. But for you, what's taken away that courage? Was it a divorce? Was it something that happened to you recently? Was it something that happened to you a long time ago, but you still carry the burden of that thing and it's keeping you from living a bold walk of faith? What's your thing? And I ask you to hold on to that. And we'll come back to it at the end of the sermon because what the sermon is gonna call us to do through this passage is to look at that thing, whatever your thing is through the eyes of faith. And as you look at it with eyes of faith, you will find a way to walk with courage and boldness in this life. You will be one who does not shrink back. In 1 John 5, 4, he says this, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Basically, the sermon is unpacking that. This is what has overcome the world, our faith, what faith is and what faith does. That's what we'll talk about together. Will you bow your heads and we'll ask God to help us as we look at his word. Father, as we come to you, we remember you said, my sheep, they know my voice. And we fully believe that. And so Father, I pray that you would speak to your sheep you would speak to your sons and daughters. And today that as you speak, that they would recognize everyone in this room. This is not just Dave talking, but they would recognize the voice of their father. And they would hear from you because they recognize your voice because you are their shepherd. And so father, I pray that you would give us hearts that hear your voice. And we pray that you would speak to us because from your words, life flows up. So we wait for you. We listen to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. So first, we're gonna look at what faith is. Let's read the first verse again together. Here's a great definition, a very profound definition of faith. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When we talk about faith, oftentimes we are talking about the thing that gets you saved, um, a very particular kind of faith. If faith is like this, uh, within that, there's a narrow kind of faith, a specific kind of faith called saving faith, the kind of faith that gets you saved. And that's to believe on Jesus Christ. Like we sang, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. To believe that is saving faith. But today, the passage here doesn't just talk about saving faith. It's talking a little bit more broadly about walking faith, How do you walk the rest of your life in faith? With that power that comes from the confidence here, it says the assurance and the conviction of God. And that's the faith that we're going to be talking about today. you know, it's important for us to look at this word assurance, but this word assurance is notoriously hard to define. What it, what it means here when it says it's the assurance of things hoped for, that means it's the grounds for the things that we believe. It's the substance or the reason why we believe these things. It's what's underneath what we believe. And that helps us to see the things of God that haven't happened in our lives yet but see it in a real way. Uh, John Piper, he says that faith is simply spiritual seeing, is to see yourself and this world through the eyes and lens of the spirit, but to see it truly and now. And I think that that's the difference uh, between hope and faith. You know, hope is, is merely um, something that you want, a desire that's inside of you, and you want it and you want it to happen. But faith is actually seeing that happen before it happens. So faith is starting to see the spiritual realities of it before you see the physical evidence of it. It's a promises perspective, right? It's a promises perspective. And it's based on his promises. To see his promises that he's given to us in scripture start to come to life when other people may not be able to see it come to life because they don't have eyes of faith. Now this kind of thing has been hijacked by the name it and claim it group to say that uh, this is to claim that you're gonna be a millionaire or you're claiming that you're gonna get a Bentley or claiming those things, right? Now I I want to make sure that we're on the same page. Uh, What we are claiming are the actual promises of God, the things that he has already promised us in scripture and he has not promised that you would be a millionaire. And he has not promised you a Bentley. Uh, no matter how much you claim it or name it, we are claiming and naming promises that he has given to us in scripture, right? The fact that he will make us like him, that he will glorify us, that he will accomplish these things in us. Those are the promises we claim. We don't make up our own promises and then claim it. We go and receive the promises through eyes of faith, a conviction of the things not seen. It's a lens through which we could see all things in ourselves. And I, I saw lenses like this. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what an Enneagram is. But when our staff started to study Enneagrams, we started to look at each other in this way. And if you've taken personality tests or you've done Enneagrams yourself, you've seen this lens come on your eyes when after you've learned about personality uh, traits and the the Enneagram numbers, you say, "Oh, you are such a five, that's such a five thing to do, right? You are such an ENFT or whatever it is, that's such an ENFT thing to do, right? And we're using that lens, we use that lens to see everybody. Right? It's a lens, it's a way of seeing each other. Uh, we see this uh, happen really broadly with uh, the introvert-extrovert binary. right? And uh, it, the more I hear about introvert-extrovert, I, I get more confused because they're adding layers on top of it where they say you may be an extrovert, but you could be an introvert if it's like this and like that. But it's a lens through which we see each other. Some people in this room have an entrepreneurial eye. And everything that you look at, you wonder, oh, I wonder how this business works. You see how a truck uh, goes down a road and immediately you're thinking, I wonder how they make money off of that, right? I wonder. And, every, and you have this entrepreneurial business lens. Some of you, maybe too much, some of you have a political lens where everything is filtered through left and right. Democrat, Republican, blue and red and everything is interpreted through the leftist agenda or the right-wing agenda. These are all lenses that we use to see this world. Faith, Hebrews 11 says, is a way of seeing the world through the lens of the Spirit. That now that Jesus has come, made people new, and is now bringing the Holy Spirit to make all things new, faith is the eyes to see the eternal inside of our temporal world is the conviction of the things unseen. The conviction of the things unseen. And brothers and sisters, it's really important as Christians that we lean into and we develop this way of seeing ourselves in the world. Because oftentimes we think faith is like this. It doesn't work very well. Sometimes we think that we have our logic, we have our rationale, we have our understanding, and then faith is us defying that logic right? We have our way of seeing things. And we see things like the world. We have our logic. And then faith is us defying our eyes. But how long can you really do that? Right? You can do that for as long as you can mistrust your eyes, for as long as you can defy the way you see. Hebrew says, that's not what faith is. Faith is a whole new way of seeing. So you're not just defying your logic. You're not just defying your eyes, but it's a new logic, right? Give yourselves as a spiritual sacrifice to the Lord. This is your logos worship or logical worship. That's a new way of living life, right? It's a new way of seeing, and we need to learn this new way of seeing ourselves and this world very differently. And that's the thrust of this passage, right? As you guys can see, it's Christmas. It's Christmas time already, it's gonna be Christmas for another 20 some days um, in America. And every time Christmas rolls around, if you've been around Mosaic long enough, you know that Christmas time means it's Narnia time. We're going to talk a little bit about Chronicles of Narnia. If you're new, and lots of you, are, a lot of you are new, um, Christmas time always reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. I enjoy the story, and if you don't know about the book series, it's really a series about four children who live this drab and ordinary life in England as just regular children, but in reality, in Narnia they are kings and queens and they have authority and they have power, but they, after each book, they go back into their English life and they enter into that ordinary life again. And then they go back into Narnia. But every time they make that shift, every time they come into Narnia, they have to be reminded again of who they are. And they have this kind of like worldly hangover And they still are hung over from thinking like the world. And then they transition back into being reminded again of who they are in the book. And I think it's a masterful way of C.S. Lewis teaching children what it means to come out of your old selves and to not look at everything the way that everybody else sees it and to see their new selves and to open up their eyes to something that is unseen, the assurance of things unseen. And in the fourth book, it's called Prince Caspian. The children come into Narnia and they're looking for Prince Caspian. It's an important figure in the book. And they've rowed this boat and it's gotten dark and they come to this camp um, inside of the woods, but it's getting dark and they can't go looking for him anymore. And so they decide to set up camp and go to sleep. And it's getting dark in the Narnian woods. And they decide to sleep, except the littlest one, Lucy, she can't sleep. She can't fall asleep. There's something about Narnia that's getting to her. And the longer she stays awake in the dark, the more the dark freaks her out. It's scaring her. It seems like, you you guys remember what it's like when you were a kid and it's dark. You start imagining things in the dark. She starts doing this. She starts imagining that the trees are alive and that there's somebody in the bushes. She's getting a little bit scared. But then it says in Prince Caspian that her eyes started to adjust to the Narnian starlight and that the Narnian stars start to shine down on everything. And as it does that, her thinking and way of seeing starts to remind her, Lucy, you are the queen of Narnia. Don't you forget. Lewis writes it this way, I think it's masterful. You know, If you think about it from the perspective of a kid, it makes a lot of sense. Lewis writes, she had once known them, this is the Narnian stars. She had once known them better than the stars of our own world because as a queen of Narnia, she had gone to bed much later than as a child in England. You know, our kids, if, when they're little, they don't know too much about stars because we put them to bed at eight o'clock, right? And they don't ever see stars really but it says that, but as a queen of Narnia, she got to stay up later and she grew familiar with the Narnian light and she began to see and adjust her eyes and the water grew brighter and the trees came alive and all the animals started to be lit up by the stars and she remembered that she is the queen of Narnia. And she calls out to the trees and she remembers, ah, the trees are alive, but this is what she says. She says, oh, trees, oh, trees, Do you remember it? Do you remember me? Oh, trees, oh, trees, do you remember it? Do you remember me? And her fear turns into remembrance and confidence. And she starts to see everything around her differently. And it's affecting her. Morning comes and everybody wakes up and they start to search for Prince Caspian again, except they get lost in the woods but it's only Lucy seeing the whole of the woods differently out of the corner of her eyes. She sees movement and she says, the lion, Aslan. Nobody else can see, but they all have to follow Lucy. You know, she's the the one that knows the way because she's the only one who's seeing everything differently and she's seeing even Aslan in the woods because the way that she's seeing everything through the Narnian stars and Narnian lights is transforming her to be able to see more. I think it's a great way for kids to understand that you have to be able to see this world differently than everyone else. You see, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is a new way of seeing. It's to see the work of the spirit in all things. That we're not looking at the world the way that the world looks at it. And faith is the ability to see everything else and ourselves differently in light of the gospel. There are these five phrases that I force my seven-year-old daughter to repeat after me all the time. She gets sick of it, and she doesn't exactly know why, but I have her repeat these five phrases. It's, I'm not, what I, I'm not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what other people say of me. I am a child of God, and he loves me today. Over and over again, I'm having her say this. Why do I say that? Because it's almost as if I am putting spiritual lenses on her eyes as she goes to her second grade class. That she is, despite all the pressure, even in second grade, they have this pressure to perform, that she's not what she does. And you know, in in this Bergen County area that we live in, she's gonna see other people who have things that she doesn't have. And yet she has to know, I'm not what I have. And in second grade, you wouldn't believe there's gossip already in second grade parents and kids talking about these kids. She needs to know, I'm not what other people say of me. I am a child of God and he loves me today. She repeats those five phrases all the time. And I have her do that because I'm telling her, Mia, walk by faith and not by sight. You are a child of God. Despite all of the evidence of what you're gonna experience at school, You need to know this underneath all of that. You are a child of God, beloved, walk with faith and not by sight. That's what faith is. It is a new way of seeing everything and seeing yourself. But now secondly, we have to look at the rest of the chapter. It's what faith does. Now, what happens when someone starts to see their lives and and the people around them in this way? When you just, I just encourage you again, to scan the rest of that chapter. When you scan the rest of the chapter, you're gonna see more than 15 examples of people who lived by faith. And each one of them, when faith was downloaded into them, something happened to them because faith does something when it enters our heart. It moves us to live an unprecedented life of courage in the Lord, an unprecedented life of courage in the Lord. And so when you look at these stories, it's very interesting because what the Hebrew author does is he unveils the internal motivations of each one of these people. And there are stories like you and I, we have known, if you grew up in church, you've known these stories for a very long time. And yet you never knew the inner motivations of a lot of these people. That's why I like Narnia, because they talk about you know, what's going on in their heart as things are happening. And I don't like the movies because the movies don't do that. They just do things and they're just like, just moving and it's like, but the whole point is to understand what's going on. But the cool thing here is like, take a look at the story of Abraham. In the story of Abraham in Genesis, we see him offering Isaac up at Mount Moriah, this tremendous step of faith, this amazing sacrifice that he makes, and yet we don't know the internal dialogue of Abraham. And so we think, oh man, he must've just been the supernatural, crazy, amazing guy, once in a lifetime, once in a generation kind of guy. But what the author of Hebrews is trying to highlight is, it's not about him. It's revealing to you what faith is doing inside of him. Read verse 19 with me. This is what it says. It says, Abraham, by faith, offered up Isaac because he considered that God was able even to raise him up from the dead. I didn't know that, right? And you don't know that until you hit Hebrews 11. It says that Moses left Egypt because he weighed, right? What it meant to follow God and follow Egypt, and he found the weight of God, of Christ, weightier than the weight of Egypt. It starts to make sense. It's giving you the inner logic of faith. If I sacrifice Isaac, I know that God can even raise him from the dead, right? It's giving you the inner logic of faith. And that's what Hebrews 11 is for. And some of you have learned about Hebrews 11 and have studied Hebrews 11, and maybe you've gone through studying each person's faith. But the whole point is of Hebrews 11 is not that it's showcasing heroes. You know, it's often been called the hall of faith. That's fine, but it's not like the hall of fame. Like the hall of fame, we look at Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson, and we think, oh my gosh, these are such amazing players. That's not Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a display case that shows the power of faith. It's not a display case for Abraham, Moses, Jacob. It's a display case to show you the power of faith and then to turn around and say to you, this is what faith can do to someone. And you have this faith. Do you understand what chapter 11 is about? It showcases the power of faith, its ability to animate inside of us an unprecedented courage to live for God, to show you that to say, you also have this. You know, it does that because a lot of us, we think, well, Abraham, he was some crazy, amazing guy. I don't know, but I can't do that. Right? Moses, some amazing, crazy guy. I can't do that. The whole point of Hebrews 11 is to show you, don't look at them. It was the faith inside of them. And you have the same substance inside of you the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of the things unseen. Amen? You have that in your heart. And that's the point, is to show the common thread between all of these people and show you, don't you see, you are part also of the hall of faith. Where is your faith? If you are also in this lineage, living in the hall of faith, then should you not also have expression of the same substance inside of you. That's what we see here in the hall of faith. And we need to more and more see this happen inside of us. And the Narnian stars illustration thing, I think it's helpful for me because it shows me that I do need to get under the light of Christ. I need to get under these things that show me who I am and show me the world underneath the eyes of God, whether it be worship, or increased life in the word, or more prayer, we have to re-enter into this because we have the same substance. Now, I wanna bring up that thing I asked you at the beginning of the sermon. Um, I asked you at the beginning of the sermon, for you, what took away your courage? What happened to you that made it so hard to believe that God is real in you and in the world around you? Is it an illness that's inside of you? Do you just feel stuckness? Is there a secret shame inside of your marriage? Was it financial crisis? Was it just that you lack faith because you just saw your own sheer lack of following through with spiritual things? And you say, this is not, never gonna happen for me. What happened? Whatever your thing is, Brothers and sisters, today Hebrews 11 says to you, you have to look at that thing with eyes of faith. You have to, with spiritual seeing, look at that now to be in the hall of faith. You see, every one of these people had a thing, right? Abraham had Mount Moriah, Moses had the Red Sea, Joshua had Jericho, the walls of Jericho. Everybody had a thing. And that thing became the pivotal plot twist in their hall of faith story that made them into grand men and women of faith testimony. Whatever is keeping you, your thing, is the thing that God wants you to see with eyes of faith. And that thing will be your plot twist in your entrance into the hall of faith. Look at that thing with eyes from the spirit, spiritual eyes. That's the thrust of today's passage today. What faith is going to do in you then is animate in you, for that thing, animate in you an unprecedented courage for your life to see everything through the eyes of faith. You know, I want to start to address some of you in this because I think I need to kind of bring it home. Let me me give it to you this way. Wives, do you know that inside of your husband, there's a different husband? Do you know that inside of your husband is another husband? I'm not being weird, I'm being, listen to me. Inside of your husband is a different husband. Inside of your husband is a husband who leads with faith. Because of the promises of God, I'm not making this up because of the promises of God in the New Testament scriptures, the work of the spirit and the renewing power of the gospel, inside of your husband is a new creation man who leads with conviction and prayer and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is in there. He's inside of there. We need to draw him out with prayer and the word and love, gentleness, patience. No husband has been nagged into sanctification. Doesn't happen. But with prayer and love, patience, spiritual eyes, do you see that inside of him? Do you have spiritual eyes? Do you have faith? Some of you say, I've never seen anything like that in my husband. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Mothers, do you know that there is another mother inside of you? a mother who is not fearful of this world for your children, a mother who is prayerful, a mother who is filled with the word of God planted by streams of water. Do you know that there is a mom like that inside of you? And fathers might say, I never saw anything like that in her. Faith is the assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That is what it means to have faith, to see one another with those eyes of faith. Husbands, can you bring that out of your wife through prayer, love, patience, and the word? Young men at Mosaic, do you know that inside of you, there is a courageous man of God inside of you? Not a man of God who's timid, not a man who is thrown around by trials and temptations of this world. Do you know that inside of you, young man, there is one who is a courageous son of God. In First John, at the end, he starts to address different groups inside of the church and he says, young men, I commend you because you have overcome the evil one. And I'm sure they're reading that. They're like, what? I didn't overcome the evil one yet. He's seeing with eyes of faith. I commend you that you have overcome the evil one. Young men, do you know that there is a man of courage and conviction inside of you? And a secret is, that's what women are looking for. <laughs> Man who leads with courage. It's inside of you. And you say, I've never seen anything like that in me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Conviction of the things unseen. Young women, do you know that there is a woman of faith inside of you who is not tossed around by the narratives of this world, the confusing pressure of this world right now, where it says that in order to be a strong woman, you gotta be a strong woman and a strong man. If you're not both of them, then you're not a strong woman. That's kind of the narrative right now, isn't it? You have to do all of it. Do you know that there is a woman inside of you that believes the word of God, that knows in boldness who you are and are not tossed around by this world? Do you know that your failures are tools for the devil to discourage you, but necessary ingredients for God's redemption in your life? Can you see that in your failures? That's eyes of faith, brothers and sisters. Faith is the assurance of things that you hope for in Christ, the conviction to see it before it happens, to see the unseen. And the Lord is calling you that in the new life that he's breathed in you, We need to start to walk in these things. And as we do, the Lord will animate inside of you, seriously, seriously, unprecedented courage to live radical lives in this world. He's giving you faith, walk in it. And as you do, you'll see things like you've never done before in your own heart and in others. Let's pray and let's go to the Lord and receive this in our hearts, receive not only, his definition of faith, but the challenge and the call of faith, not only what faith is, but what faith does when it's inside of us. My brothers and sisters, I encourage you to go to him with maybe that one thing that is blocking you, that one thing that has taken away your hope and courage. Take it to him, ask for eyes of the spirit to see it differently and ask him for that courage that comes when faith downloads into a man of God, into a woman of God, Let's start seeing each other differently. Let's start seeing ourselves differently. You're not what you do. You're not what you have. You're not what all these people are saying about you. You are a child of God. We are not those who shrink back. Let's take up our faith today and let's go to the Lord um, and receive this word in our hearts. Let's pray.